0: Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero.
1: What's up everybody? Welcome back to another Tiger Interview Series. Today we have Jared Waldoff, who is a Tigers coach for us. And in his previous life, he was in compliance. And before you turn off the video or audio and be like, this is going to suck. Now we're going over Joe Rogan. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, the reason I want to bring Jared on is because, one, I think from a recruiting standpoint, it's always good for players to understand what's happening in the compliance side of things. Also, I want to go into the um, – I'm, I'm very curious on different things that happen throughout the NCAA. And I feel like ESPN doesn't doesn't do a very good job when it goes into that, and I think there's a reason for that. But I would like to go down how you would approach it and what how how things actually operate inside of a compliance office inside of a major university, mm-hmm. because um, one, it's obscure. Not many people know what happens in there. I know when I was playing, it was literally. Um, oh, that's the compliance guy. And then that was it. It was like this mysterious dude that or gal that you didn't want to talk mm-hmm. to, and you try to avoid like the black plague. Right. But before we jump into this conversation, I want you to do a quick elevator pitch. Give us your background, 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Um, give us like a macro view of who you are.
2: Um, well, my name is Jared Waldorf, as you said. Um, I went to Cascassia uh, College, junior college in Illinois out of high school, and then transferred to Southeast Missouri State University to play, um, finished up my degree there in business administration, and then actually worked my way and and just kind of found myself in compliance. It wasn't something that I set out to do. I just found myself in that position um, as assistant director of compliance at Southeast, um, was there for two and a half years, and then decided to make a career change.
1: Um, So now I'm in law school at St. Louis University. Is it kind of like a club where like the black robe comes over and be like, we want you, and then you end up joining compliance?
2: Uh, kind of. They're always looking for help, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's not something where they just have people lining up at the door to assist yeah. or jump in. you know. But uh, I was needing an internship, actually, and I knew I wanted to do something inside of college athletics, and so that was the fastest way to get in there. And so I took it, and then after a two-month internship, they're like, hey, we want you full-time. So,
1: and that kind of goes with law school, technically, because you're dealing with legislation yeah. oh, and everything yeah. like yeah. that. I feel like that's a pretty comparable thing. Like It was like, oh, that's a no-brainer. I'm going to go to law school.
2: Yeah, and it was actually the funnel that led mm-hmm. me there. I had never really considered it that much um, to go to law school prior, but, and we can get into this, but you spend a lot of time with people who have law degrees in compliance. Um, you work with a lot of um, people who have their law degree at the NCA. We worked a lot with legal counsel for universities. So that kind of gave me the um, insight to like what law school was like. And I was looking around. I was like, oh, I, that sounds interesting. I could do that. And then just kind of made the jump.
1: So when like explain compliance, just so that everyone's on the same page, because We've said this word a bunch of times, and obviously, someone can do basic grammar and say, "Oh, that's that makes that's that's what compliance is." But kind of give us a brief overview of like what compliance is from an NCAA standpoint.
2: Um, it's a little hard because it's very broad. Um, depending on your institution's level, obviously, I mean, big D ones have a very large compliance office. Smaller schools have one or two. Um, but basically, what compliance does is everything from, like I said, working with the NCA in terms of what's the new legislation this year? What are the rules coming out that apply to athletes, coaches, administration at those schools? Um, then we also work with incoming student athletes. Um, how do I get eligible? What do I need to do to get eligible to be here? Um, coaches have a million questions every day, like a million questions of, hey, can I do this? Um, am I allowed to get this player to come here, and what's my budget? Um, So really, we work a lot with every single part of a college athletic, um, with a college athletics department, like whether it's business, whether it's the AD, whether it's marketing, like we kind of have our hand in everything. Um, And a lot of times we're just there to answer questions, to keep student athletes educated, to keep coaches educated, and to make sure we are within the NCAA's rules and try to avoid as many violations as possible.
1: So does an athlete, so athlete obviously gets into admissions, right? So coach recruits the player, um, says, hey, I want you to be here. Kid orally commits, then signs. He's technically not yet a university student yet, Mm -hmm. Um, is not guaranteed yet because he has to pass admissions, correct? Right. Then does he have another layer where you guys actually background check the recruits so that so, everything is compliant? Yes. So, so that's actually a third layer that no one really thinks about that you have to pass. One, you have to get the coach's eye, which is recruiting. Mm-hmm, correct. Then you sign. Then you have to get into admissions. You mm-hmm. actually have to get accepted to the school. Then you have compliance to get through. So yes, in a sense, but
2: mesh those all together. So it's not necessarily step by step. So compliance, um, I mentioned that we work with a lot of different people. One of the people we work super, super close with is admissions. Um, I basically felt at times like I was half an admissions officer because once a coach finds a player, they'll come to us and say, here's this player's name. Um, how does he check out? Okay. And then, and I know we want to get into this later on is kind of, we'll go in to the eligibility center, um, look him up, make sure he's there. And then we're gonna start pulling grades and things like that to see if he's even eligible to come to the institution, because a coach mm-hmm. wants to know right off the bat, mm-hmm. can he even come here? And if he can't, okay, we're just gonna move on, you know. Um, but so then, then, it's, then you
1: do you have to like give them that bad news, like, hey, just to let you know, Johnny's yeah. not gonna be. Yeah, able
3: that, to come that here. six foot four, 90 mile power arm, nah, not eligible.
1: Yeah, and
2: that does happen, and then immediately <sighs> their question is, well, what can we do? You know, and then. Again, that's where we come in. It's like, okay, here's where he's at. Here's what he needs to do to become eligible. And then we're going to work directly either with that student athlete or with whatever school he's at, whether it be high school or junior college. We're so work where with them.
1: do where do compliance offices get in trouble? Because you hear these stories of like Louisville, Tennessee, USC, the Maurice Claret, mm. throwing that out of the history bag. Yeah. Like how do these compliance office offices like know is this player gonna go off on the deep end and then like -'cause you guys control the coaching staff right it's pretty you you're you're dealing with them on an everyday basis, and like if I have a relationship with someone i'm gonna they're not gonna they're not gonna mess up anything,
0: right. but
1: those players like example the maurice clarette or Reggie Bush situation where he was accepting mm-hmm. money like how do you control that
2: it's hard um it's definitely something where our job is to educate right to be there to educate so we try to get in front of student athletes as much as physically possible now they might not always like to see us walk in and have a team meeting with us like they hate it right as an athlete you want to be on the field you want to be in the weight room you want to be doing something else right yeah i'm the last person you typically want to see but like i always intro our meetings with those guys like listen I'm not here to bug you. I'm not here to talk to you and bore you to death. I'm here to make sure that you're on the field doing what you want to do. right? But to answer your question, I mean, it's hard. You're relying a ton on your coaches. Um, We are starting – I think it's becoming a trend for um, athletic departments to do a little bit more of a background check on athletes. Mm -hmm. It hasn't in the past. You're typically relying on your coaching staff um, to recruit quality guys and people. Um, But I think it's starting to become more of a thing to kind of dig a little deeper. Um, But we rely on coaches. You know, you try to build a good relationship and trust with coaches to educate them um, so that they can educate their players. And then at the end of the day, it comes down to what kind of people, not saying that Reggie Bush is a bad person by any means. Yeah. Um, I mean,
1: it goes back to, I actually just got done watching the movie Midway and one of the... Dave's giving me a look like the, the ana- this analogy is going to be really interesting. Let's see how this I plays love out. I'll try, see how it goes. I'll try
2: to follow. I'll try to I haven't seen it, so I'll try to follow along. Okay, so
1: Midway's about Pearl Harbor, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So before the movie starts, before Pearl Harbor happens, five years prior, one of the generals was in Japan and being a liaison and talking to, um, It was there was a trade embargo. And basically what happened was the Japan um, the Japanese general told the American general be very careful that you don't cut off our supplies because if you keep on cutting off our supplies you're there's going to be a problem and we're going to have to retaliate and actually do something about it and it was basically based on oil so my point is is like peop- these players come from bad situations mm-hmm. where they don't have the resources and they're in college and then you have John over here who is comes from middle class family well off and then you have um let's just say tim from a lower class family and he doesn't have the resources so when he comes to the university he gets all this stuff like don't get me wrong like universities take care of you yep. like it's mm-hmm. impressive oh, like yeah. you're you're class a like you're basically a thoroughbred horse and they make sure that you're you're top and bottom but at the same time there's that pain point where i don't have spending money i'm, st- mm-hmm. I'm living in an apartment that's not really all that great. How, is that a red flag for, or like, not where, I wouldn't say a red flag, but more of a concern point when a coach recruits somebody from a family side that's not as well off as somebody else? Um, I wouldn't, like you said, I wouldn't call it a red flag. It's definitely
2: something that, you know, like You, you want to look out for that person. Absolutely. And yeah. it happens a ton. And... To be quite honest with you, I think a lot of institutions um, have resources in place for students like that, because
1: um, you're more than likely that's you're like again if, if I'm in that situation, and I'm trying to do survival mode, I'm more than likely going to fa- figure out oh I'll I'll sell my ring on eBay yeah. sure. and get ten thousand right. dollars for it. Now that that gives me a leeway into the next right. rent <laughs> rental apartment or food. Outside of what the NCA right. gives me um, spending money on the weekends because some guys don't even get fed on the weekends yep. like it just it makes sense to me that that would happen so like did, is, has the NCA thought about hey let's let's take care of these guys
2: yeah and you know are there things that can always be done yes I think there needs to be more done um, there are a lot of processes in place that many people outside of working in an athletic department don't don't know about um so every institution has a student athlete assistance fund so it's saf um that money comes directly from the ncaa so all these tv contracts that they get from march madness or college mm-hmm. football playoff they distribute it through student athlete assistance fund now it's up to the compliance office um to regulate that right so if we have a student athlete that comes to us and says hey you know i have a toothache it's not sports related i have to go to the dentist to get it pulled I don't have the money, but it needs to be done. Okay, well, that's something that we can cover, right?
1: So it operates like an HSA fund.
2: Basically, yeah. But again, that comes down to the student athlete coming to us or the coach relaying it to us that somebody needs some help. Um, so, and that's limited, right? Um, that's a limited amount of money. And
1: typically. So each department has a pool of money. Each for that situation, like if it's a hard a hard situation, they have that pool of money, or is it like the conference that has the pool of money? So it's each institution.
2: Okay. Each institution will have um, a student assistance fund. Now, how much can vary. Um, there is a, a like a minimum amount that each one has to mm-hmm. get. I don't remember what that is, <clears throat> um, but each school, and again, I'm talking in Division One level. I don't know. I didn't spend time in it division two or division three or NAI school. So I'm not sure how that works there. Um, So if I'm speaking, it'll probably be division one level, but yeah, every institution has a student athlete assistance fund and the NCA does have um, some other um, routes that they could go, but they are a little trickier. There's just a lot of red tape to work around.
1: Do you, do you remember like what the requirements are for you guys to actually give assistance on that?
2: It has to be a lot of times it was medical or there were multiple times where they needed a flight back home mom's sick Mm. there's a funeral or something like that if it's a family matter or if it's going to benefit the student athletes well-being we can pretty much write it off or if it's a health matter right now they're not just going to let us just dish it out for no reason right we have to have a reason Um, it has to be documented and it typically needs to be urgent and benefit the student athletes either health or well being. That's a big phrase with the NCAA. If it benefits their health or well being, you're good. Did that happen a lot? Did that did did a lot of student athletes come to you or a lot
3: of coaches or departments come to you for that? Just we, out of
2: curiosity? Yes. We could have used more student okay. athlete assistance wow. fund money. Um, really? So I'm, you 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 tap it out yeah, almost. And I'm talking like we're in the thirty five fifty fifty five thousand dollar range. Wow as like a total amount that we were using in and that's every right. year. And
1: technically, that's not that's not that much for no, how many athletes you have. Right, it's like, really not. I mean, what's a typical amount of athletes in a department?
2: Um, I think we had right around 400 to 450. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you split
1: that money up, there's not much there. No,
2: no. And again, that, that's not going to cover like foods on the weekend. You know, if somebody comes to us and it's like, hey, I need McDonald's because I don't have any food this weekend – we can't really use that. We can do a lot of other things to try to help them, but student athlete assistance funds probably not going to cover that.
1: Yeah, because I mean, some scholarships don't even cover the cover the food. Right. Mm. No, especially in baseball. Yeah, and a lot of other. Well, you'll uh, get it on the weekends, right? On sti- you'll have stipend. if right. The university is not having meals or anything. Correct. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Now break down break down the athletic department because I feel like it'd be really good for someone to really understand the different different side like different areas of the department. <laughs> Because when a student athlete goes in, I didn't know this, like who, what tools are there for them or what key players that they can use and access? Because like when I walked into the athletic department, I just thought, oh, this is just like high school. I just have my co- my head coach and my assistant coach and that's the only people that I can mm-hmm. really access to. Then I started realizing like, holy cow, I have mm-hmm. this person, I have that person. Like break down a typical like D1 school um, resources inside the athletic department. Sure.
2: Um, well, I'll start off with the two big ones because I was like you, I had no idea. I was just
1: showing up to play, right? Mm -hmm. Play
2: and here. Here's class, you know, like go to class. Um, like
1: it's amazing, like how much stuff there is that you can access. And I don't think a lot of athletes realize that when they step on campus as a freshman or even a junior, they're coming from junior college. Yeah.
2: The two big ones, obviously, um, academic support center, right? Division one schools and pretty much every school, even in junior college, I had, two people that were there dedicated to student athlete success. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the main one. Um, find out where that building is located, find out who those people are and become best friends with them. Oh, it's like free. You get free tutoring. free tutoring, which is
1: crazy. Like, um, here's, here's an example. So, um, my mom passed away my senior year of college and in the spring. So like Mm -hmm. I literally, I missed month to months of school. I just shut down I was like I'm not dealing with school I'm not dealing with homework I was like I'll take the F's and my coach the coaching staff was like freaking out because I was gonna be the starting center fielder and so what happened was the athletic department realized what was happening and they ended up like get hiring one of one of the um, former students that was in the economics program Mm -hmm. because I was I was on the economic side not many athletes did that Mm -hmm. so they had to go outside pay somebody to help me get my grades back to where they were. And he was literally my tutor from the starting point of like when I shut down to he's like he kept on communicating with me every week and then to the end of my like the spring of senior year because I had to make up all those class time from the fall. Yeah. That's amazing. Yep. Yeah.
2: And there are multiple of those. Like at SEMO, for instance, we had I think eight student tutors who we like you said we were paying them to be in the athletic – success center is what we called ours um you literally walk in it's quiet you have like three full-time staff at least um you might be assigned one for your team as a whole and she's like he or she is your go-to person like hey i'm struggling in this class Mm -hmm. i'm struggling with this professor and then their job is basically to make sure that you're getting the resources you need um and then they can assign you an individual tutor. If you're struggling in economics and they don't have an economics tutor, they'll go out and find one. Um, so that's like the n- main number one resource that I think every student athlete needs to know about and use. And that's the one you're gonna see the most. Like you're gonna become best friends with those people. And
1: you should, um, like, but- Think about the expenses on that. Yeah. I don't think people realize the, how much that costs to get that done and literally dedicate towards an athlete. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. And going back a little bit to what you said about, you know, coming from a, if student athletes coming from a bad background or maybe just not your normal upbringing, right? Those are the student athletes that really need to take advantage of that because, you know, maybe they didn't have a great parent figure in their life, or maybe they just didn't have one because they passed away or something. Those people, you are going to see those, um, Officers and resource outlets, you're going to see them every single day. Mm-hmm. Like when you go on a road trip, they'll be there. They'll be making sure that you have time set aside to study and things like that. So definitely take advantage of those.
1: Okay, so we've got the academic, academic side. Yep. The Which,
2: other one would be compliance, honestly. I mean, like I said. It's so you not, think that's
1: a, that's a very, super valuable for yes. the athlete to oh, develop yeah. a relationship with the compliance 100%. officer? 100%. One hundred percent, because which I I wouldn't I didn't know that like yeah. I didn't even I, I, I didn't I, even know who my compliance officer was. Like I knew who the guy was and I talked to him every once in a while, but I like I didn't really see him as like valuable. I was like I thought it was more for the coaches. I knew mm-hmm. my SIC? no sports information. Yeah,
2: yeah. S- I forget they've changed. well whatever they've changed names I knew, a few times.
1: I knew <laughs> that, but I didn't know my <laughs> compliance guy. I just remember I couldn't take photocopies like that was like a no no in our office. Like literally we could not take a photocopy (laughs) in the academic center, but I can go to the library and take why I don't, I don't know. (laughs) And that's one of my questions for Jared. I want to know why that was, he might not even have an answer. He's like, that's a weird rule. But I, it literally had posted up like in our academic athletic center that if you take a photocopy without help, like I needed someone to help me take a photocopy, they would take my scholarship away.
2: Yeah. Um, I can hit on it real quick and I'm not, I'm not trying to, uh, I don't want to date you by any means. You're not an old guy, but like, the NCAA got rid of a lot of those rules in like 2012
1: ish. Yeah. Well, that's when I was a senior in college. Yeah, Like
2: 2012 was the year there was a lot of changes. So like, for instance, you could be a student athlete walking down the street. This is how it used to be. You could be walking across campus and it's like, Pouring down rain, or it's like it is now outside, and it's eight degrees. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. you could be walking across campus, and you couldn't accept a ride from just Joe Schmo off the street. Yeah, shut up. No, that yep. makes that makes sense. That was a rule. Yeah, like literally, I could. be It's an w- assistant. Yeah. Now it's not so, anymore. What about Uber? It could, it could be a benefit as long as you're yeah. paying, then you're fine.
1: So just as long as cash is in hand, as well, long how do as, you prove as that? As long as you're not getting a free ride.
2: Yeah, see that's that's why they got rid of it, I'm right? I'm
1: surprised there's not like warfare between like colleges like hey, we're going to go to the uni- we're playing University of Tennessee tomorrow. Let's try to get s- let's well, try why to Why do you
3: keep bringing up Tennessee spiker? God, Adam <laughs> it was the first thing e- okay, you mentioned it before <laughs> the podcast. I mean uh, McDonald's Tennessee, I don't know, yeah. something happened. But
1: but anyways, like I'm surprised there's not warfare like we're playing Tennessee, we got to get this win. Let's go see if we can get a ride for yeah. their top quarterback. Yeah. That's why,
2: I mean, that's why they got rid of them, right? And compliance officers were probably at the forefront of leading that because we can't track that. Right. Like, I'm not spending eight hours of my day tracking if you get a ride or there used to be a rule about there could only be so much protein yep. in like a protein powder that you were allowed to have. And it's like, I
1: can't track that. No, no way. yeah I remember
3: Stop. I remember when we got to talk about energy drinks. Like yeah. you couldn't have energy drinks. Oh, a mean, monster. Oh or anything. There's still a limit on those. Yeah, I know.
1: Yeah. yeah. So we were playing Salu, and we're we're driving driving up and this Red Bull you know how they had the girls had the Red Bull car? Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So the Red Bull car saw that it had Missouri State on it, Missouri State Bears, and we're we're driving into um the stadium. The Red Bull girls followed the bus into the back, like past security, and they like whipped it around and put their actual car in front of our bus. And uh, one of our, our trainers goes, Oh hell no. Comes from the back of the bus and runs down the bus and just like chews these girls out and like, don't, you can't do this. And they literally kept on like, like we were coming off the bus yeah, yeah, and the girls were still trying to pass it out. And our trainer was trying to grab the energy drinks from our hands yeah. to make sure that we weren't consuming the energy <laughs> yeah. drink.
2: Well, he was probably at that time, he's probably looking out and just like, he's probably had a run in with the NCAA or his compliance office. Oh, like, There's a lot of education going on before that happened mm-hmm. for sure. But yeah, I mean, they got rid of a lot of those rules. Like I said, just because it's impossible to track that. Or did they, mean anything no like if you need a ride get a ride you know what i mean like
1: what was the photocopy thing like same thing
2: it was just uh it was perceived as an extra benefit probably because regular students at your school because
1: we had to pay for photocopies and so
2: if you're getting a free one
1: it was a benefit
2: but again they changed a lot of that one because it's hard to track it's hard to monitor and then two making a photo if you're making a photocopy as a student athlete it's probably because you have to for a class right right and so
3: that's
1: what i was thinking when i was like i was like this is so weird just because you're
3: an
2: athlete you have access to that building normal students don't
1: you get it for
3: free they wouldn't
2: right but now it's like they as long as you're doing things as a student athlete health wellness or an academic purpose it's most likely going to be okay and that's why they got rid of like the photocopy thing i didn't know it was a rule but like i said it's something that i can't monitor um it's something that even if they made me monitor i'm probably not going to because i just can't so it was just a ridiculous rule
1: what what son of a gun like made a photocopy and then loses his scholarship from that like i could only imagine like i wonder if there's ever been a person that's ever had that where they
2: they were probably a little excessive on the warning i don't think you would have lost your scholarship it would have been a hey little slap on the wrist they probably would have that's probably Wait, not a level one violation.
3: No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. You're probably not ending up on the that's, cover That's of, not making ESPN. I can no. just <laughs> I can <laughs> exactly. see that ESPN.
1: Spiker Helms takes a photocopy, loses scholarship. You're like, the scholarship. Hey, hey, holding paper like this. You could have,
2: uh, that might have worked out for you. You could have got a sponsorship through like Xerox or something. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like I said, that's something that they got rid of
1: okay so we got the we got academic academic we got compliance Compliance, yeah what what do we got else um those are the
2: two big ones and everyone's important like don't don't get me wrong but as a student athlete those are the two to take advantage of i think the most um but then you have your business um department so they're going to handle your budgets they're working closely with the ad um, and they're making sure that you're as an athletic department you're under budget you're bringing in money you're bringing in revenue they manage along with the compliance department. So they're um, operations, basically. Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah. And they're managing scholarship budgets with the compliance department as well. Um, and then you have marketing, obviously. So everything you see, social media. Um, and that's a little bit of what you were talking about, sports information mm-hmm. and marketing. Mm-hmm. Those are two separate departments, um, but they work really, really closely together.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and how big are these departments? For It varies. So like, it just depends on...
3: Like, Getting a little bigger now. Yeah. yeah.
1: I, get, I guess it depends on... I guess the CEO of the university, which would be the president, he's making those decisions on, okay, we're going to increase our marketing side for athletic department. it would be the AD. Oh, it'd be the AD. Yeah, AD pretty
2: much has free reign.
1: So basically... Because he knows he has a budget inside of the university.
2: The way an athletic department works, at least in my experience, is it's very... It's almost like its own company separate from the university. Um, The AD and the president are obviously working very, very close together. They have meetings basically every week together. But the athletic director has a ton of just free reign to kind of make decisions um, on the fly.
1: So is their main goal to increase revenue for the athletic department? Or is their main goal to graduate athletes? Is it a combination of both? Like how do they view... I guess it just depends on each athletic director,
2: right? I mean, it, it'll come down to philosophy of the athletic director, um, and you know, everybody's going to put out a statement where they want to graduate every student athlete, and I think they do. I mean, yeah. as an athletic department, you build a relationship with every student athlete that walks on your campus, or you should. Yeah, you know, and you want those people to succeed. Sure, you know. So, I think it's a combination, right? you have to find a balance of, we need to bring in the right players to succeed. So one, we can grow a fan base and have revenue coming in, right? Because we can't survive, we can't provide a service without revenue coming in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a huge thing, is finding a way to make more revenue, how to sell more tickets, how to sell more merchandise. That's always at the front. Um, but at the same time, you know, if your student athletes aren't graduating, or they're not having success, well, then you're not going to get
1: athletes to come there,
2: you know? So it's a balance of – I'm sure
1: you get money from the state too. If yeah, you're if a you're a state, state school. Yeah, because right. like a graduation, I mean, that's that's added money to the university. Right, and so
2: that's a good point is the NCAA has a ton of incentives to graduate athletes mm-hmm. to make sure they're meeting what's called progress towards degree and your graduation rates. Um, and, again, that's a compliance area is tracking your federal – your graduation rate at your institution as compared to the federal graduation rate, graduation rate and as compared to other institutions with their student-athlete graduation rate because the higher you have those numbers the more money you're getting in
1: so i know high, high school athletic departments like they have what if you donate money to the school or an athletic department you can't just donate to baseball or you can't just donate to football It's just, it's literally a pot of money and then they end up dividing up the money, Mm -hmm. right? So from like an athletic department standpoint, is that, I don't know if you can, if you can't talk about it, just say, I can't talk Mm -hmm. about this. When you guys get revenue from like ticket sales or from sponsorships or anything like that, does that money then divide it amongst all the sports or is it, okay, football has football, football can donate to baseball and stuff like that. Or is everything goes into one pool and then you guys decide "Mm, we're going to spend more money. On baseball, because baseball field is still literally playing in the city park.
2: Right. Um, A little bit of a split. So ticket sales and things of that nature, revenue-generating sports, so football and basketball typically, are your two revenue-generating sports at most colleges, Mm -hmm. right? Most other sports operate at a loss, honestly. Um, I would say every other sport operates at a loss.
1: So like your big revenue sports are going to be... Football, Football, basketball,
2: basketball, and then you know if you have if you are a school where one other sport's really big, let's say Vanderbilt baseball or, or like Arkansas UConn baseball. girls, right, right, exactly. Um, then yeah, those will generate revenue too. Um,
1: so it's almost like it's important for the athletic director to hire a really good coach that's able to do one recruit, get good athletes, but also market themselves. That's right. Nick Saban makes eight million dollars a year. Yep. I mean, it makes him so po- it makes him valuable. Yep. Yep. And that's why Tim Corbin is Tim Corbin. Right? Yep.
2: Yeah. So like I said most operate at a loss so they're not going to be able to generate their own revenue. So yes, there is a lot of revenue sharing between football, basketball and every other sport. Like they have to divide that money up. Now, they can take donations for football specific. Like if we have an outside donor who wants to give 3 million dollars to football only, well, that money's football only.
3: Does it have to be does it have to be to a specific Thing like, okay, I'm gonna donate to the east side of the end zone, or can I just give it to football and let Nick Saban decide how to yeah. spend the money? Yeah,
2: yeah, you can. I guess it goes from like the boosters, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. They, at that point, you're considered a booster whether you've officially signed up or not. Right. Um, but yeah, they can pretty much just give it, and then we get to use it however we want to for that sport. They can give it to the athletic or, or athletic department as a whole, and again, we're probably gonna split that up. And we'll probably emphasize giving that to those sports that operate at a loss, um, just because it's free money.
3: Did that have anything to do with like Title Nine? It does. It does. Okay. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh yeah. And that's a whole other topic yeah. is Title Nine um, and how to stay in compliance with that. But yeah, you have to distribute money fairly equally. Yeah. Um, obviously, football is going to cost a lot more, so you can spend a lot more, a lot more money there, mm-hmm. as compared to let's say tennis. Okay, which doesn't really require that much money to operate. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a balance, but yeah, it's a split. Okay, I mean, it's like ticket sales and revenue from a football game. Yeah, that's going to get split between all sports.
1: Do you guys talk about how, as a department, how to get a sport to be a revenue generator rather than a revenue loss? Or Uh, is that not really a concern?
2: No, I mean, it's huge. Like, obviously, in an ideal world, they would all make their own money and be able to operate fully. Um, But that's, again, that's where those marketing and sports information departments come in because they're gonna work closely to put on events that draw in people because they want to get more revenue for that sport. Like, let's say, I'll just use SEMO baseball for an example, Mm -hmm. okay? So, SEMO baseball is lucky in a sense that they play in a city park, but Mm -hmm. it's split between the university and the city. Well, since it's not on university grounds, They've been able to, um, before now there's, they're loosening up the rules on like alcohol Mm -hmm. games, Mm -hmm. but before that you couldn't have alcohol on campus during athletic events. Well, because they were operating in the city, one of the biggest marketing, um, events of the year was basically every Saturday home game we had. And sometimes Friday they would bring in the local distributor. The marketing department would work with like the alcohol distributor in that area and they would have free food, free beer and it was packed, and it, so they're just basically trying to bring in more people to bring in more money for a sport, baseball, at that level, which is mid-major D1, that doesn't typically make a ton yep. of money, so there's always events at every sport um, that they're trying to just bring in people, because yeah, like, it's a big emphasis to the more money, the better. I mean, it's a business.
1: Do you think that baseball could end up being a revenue generating sport or do you think that it's like out of the question because just of the time frame that they're they're required to play because i know there's been a lot of conversation before before the the surveys sickness happened how to actually get it to be a revenue generating sport do you personally think that it's possible
2: i think it's possible i think it's probably the first one in line outside of football and basketball um, at least across the board, you know, like you said, UConn women's basketball is huge. Baylor women's basketball is huge, um, but I think baseball is probably the one that could break through and become a revenue-generating sport. Um, you're seeing um, the College World Series continue I mean, huge. to continue to grow. It's huge. Right.
1: That's like, I think that's the one thing that is frustrating from a baseball perspective is that's one of the bigger events. Inside the NCAA, obviously March Madness is March Madness. And then obviously, um, the football bowl series is what it is. Mm -hmm. But if you look at like super regionals and regionals, those are very popular, um, amongst the colleges, because again, it's warmer weather. Mm -hmm. It kids are out of school, right? They're still there just kind of cleaning up and making sure that everything's settled and they're going to head to their internships. Mm -hmm. And then you have the college world series, which is the final celebration, my my question is how can you duplicate that inside of the sport so that it ends up becoming like hey I I'm a college I'm a college student I'm in a part of fraternity let's let's go to a game I think you are though
3: I think you are I mean you look at the experiences like take SEC baseball I mean Kentucky just poured sixty million dollars into their stadium you think they're going to do that if fans aren't going to show up right yeah. of course they are yeah. and
2: and it comes down to school size honestly because like like I said your Vanderbilt your Arkansas you know your bigger schools can pour more money into their facility to make it probably better than most minor league games they can run events full yep full throttle they have concessions they like they can do everything then yeah that'll be a re- revenue generating sport at that point because you're providing a top quality service for that community yep where the struggles come in are mid-major and down where they can't they don't they just don't have the personnel or the funds to put on something
1: like that to actually pull off a good event. <laughs> Correct. And because so, like, like if you go to a Mizzou football or Mizzou baseball game, um, or even like when I was playing, we played Southern Miss, the atmosphere yep. was so dynamic. Mm-hmm. It was way better than minor league baseball. Yes. It's just, it's at a different level than yep. I think even major league baseball, it's just a unique type of atmosphere.
2: Yeah. And I mean, you both know this and I know this, what brings in fans winning, right? So, that's where athletic directors got to take a good hard look and if you're not winning it's probably time to make a change with the coaching staff you know coaches play a huge role in that Mm -hmm. because if you aren't winning no matter what you're doing outside or in the stadium well no one's showing up. no one's showing up you know so it's hard it's a hard thing to do in college sports especially like i said once you get outside of that power five conference things drop off pretty drastically Mm -hmm. in terms of revenue and in terms of Mm -hmm. Um, facilities, So it's a hard thing to do for the majority of institutions is to make a sport outside of basketball and football to be revenue generating.
1: So if you were an athletic director right now, just a good thought experiment what would be your priority list to make. Obviously let's talk about let's, minus football and basketball. Mm-hmm. Obviously that's going to be where your main focus is. But if you were trying to create a baseball program that would generate revenue, what would be your priority list? Coach first. Coach i bring in in a good coach. So would it be like a name brand, like a household name that you think would Uh, would generate it? Or would it be like, I'm going to really audit and try to figure out who is the new cat in town that no one knows about that's going to just bring a buzz?
2: I think, well, we'll just say that, um, for the hypothetical that I'm not at a power five, right? I probably can't bring in a big name head coach, you know? So I think a lot of it would come down to, um, figuring out knowing your personality and wh- how he, your values operate and then trying to match those with a coach, right? Because if you're not on the same wavelength, chances are you're not going to get along. And if the AD and the head coach are not getting along in a sport, from my experience, typically doesn't work out well, whether that's on the field or in the
1: office. Who usually wins that one? Oh, the AD.
2: <laughs> the AD. <laughs> Just I mean, unless the unless you're Nick Saban. Then, it, yeah. then Nick Saban's winning that argument. But coach first and then you really, in today's world – you have to have facilities. Like, you just do. Um, players today. It's all kids care about. Yeah. They're used to. And that's a big bill. That, it's huge. That number. Like, it's in the. I mean, you're spending well, okay, you you do it. Well, just thinking about what
1: we want to try to do, like, just thinking sure. about those numbers. That, I mean, I can only imagine what, from a university standpoint, like, all right, we want to build. You just said it, Kentucky. What was it? $60
3: million, I think, you know, Oakie State just put. 80 into theirs or a hundred and
1: then that came that's from a ton and yeah. that came from donators like from boosters that wasn't like we're generating mean, it from probably revenue.
3: came a lot from football and basketball to yeah, be quite true. honest I mean, yeah.
2: to split yeah they're gonna split some of their revenues from those other sports and then donations but I mean today it's a lot of it comes down to facilities it yeah. just it just does I mean especially in baseball where in youth sports now People are putting a lot of emphasis on facilities, right? Like you guys are doing it. I mean, Tigers are doing it. Um, wherever you go for a tournament, well, bullpen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mean, it's exactly. Huge, grand Park. Yeah. like Grand Park. Po- that's what I had in mind. It's, it's, get it's getting to a point. To
1: it. It's getting to a point where like a kid goes to um, a pro. St- like from COVID, we were playing at a pro stadium every day. And now if we go to, like, the backfields of, like, Ellisville, they're going to be like, <laughs> like right. what, what the is hell this? is this? <laughs> right. And that's, not, that's yeah. not a bad thing, right? Yeah. Like,
2: you're providing a better experience for your yeah. sports. Like, that's a good thing. But it desensitizes athletes, you know, because then you get to a college campus, and they might not have the ability to have all turf and then huge indoor. Like, they just might not have that. And if a recruit comes on campus and sees that and they're used to having those things, well, doesn't, really doesn't it really doesn't matter if you win or not. You know, know.
3: You know it's kind of funny because you hear this
2: example all the time. Like,
3: let's let's say you're a top 100 high school baseball player and you're obviously committed to a Power 5 D1, but you're getting a lot of attention from the MLB draft. Well, a lot of guys, if you're not hitting a certain number, that decision is go to college because you get treated way better at college mm-hmm. than oh as a single-A
1: baseball player. When I, went into, when, I went into, when I went into independent baseball, I was at – I was in the American Association, which is a good league. Like you have some MLB guys, Triple-A guys. Like I was a rookie and I I was just amazed by how many how much talent there was. Like there were some World Series winners in there mm-hmm. and everything. I was at the later end of their career, but the how they treated you was still very good, but it wasn't to the level of Missouri State. No. It it just baffled me like they it wasn't even close. Like our clubhouse was bigger, our weight room was bigger, our staff was bigger. Your
3: meals were better. Yeah. Your gear was yeah. better. Everything was better.
1: You're staying in Hiltons. You're yeah. not staying at um, a Holiday Inn, uh, even though we went Holiday Inn to sponsor yeah. us. We're still yeah. we're You're still trying to get, it, we're man. trying to get that sponsorship. I just killed that sponsor. They're gonna be like we're not sponsoring <laughs> now. At some point, they're gonna call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we keep on talking right. about it.
2: Listen, I look forward to the Holiday Inn stays whenever I was in college. So. If that helps.
1: You know. Yeah, but I mean, like from uh, it's just it's just odd, you know. Like you go from I'm if I'm choosing power SEC baseball versus minor league baseball, that, that signing bonus has to be pretty high for me to make that decision. Yep. I'm not just signing for twenty No.
2: Nope. Yeah, you get treated fantastic, and I mean, even I mean, if we're being honest, like yes, your LSU's are gonna have more gear and nicer stuff, but like if we're being honest, if you're playing college ball somewhere, you're getting treated pretty well. Like you're getting. Cl- for the most part you're getting cleats. Unless you're getting gear. unless
1: you're in junior college. Then oh. your your clubhouse is your car.
2: <laughs> yes. Yes. I was I was fortunate. Mine was actually they were pretty high on athletics there. But yeah, junior college is a whole different experience. But I will say it builds a ton of character. Yep. Oh, like, it does. Like oh you're yeah. playing
1: in, you're doing double headers Mike. in two degrees and yeah. Four hour practice is nothing at that point. Like, like you're not that making. Was a, that was, not, was a good day. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. it was a good day. Like it, it definitely builds character. Like I highly recommend someone yep. going to junior college yep. rather than go because you got to get those innings first. you Got to play more. Like I, uh, you're literally playing constantly yeah. and you're getting so much better. It's better than that than sitting on the bench on a right. power five or a mid major mm-hmm. or even a D two to that matter. I think junior college yes. is always a better route. 100%. I just always I always think it's funny though. Like, someone would call me and like, "Oh, Spiker, where are you heading?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm heading to the clubhouse," and they're like, "We have a clubhouse?" I'm like, "No, it's my car, car. bro." Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. No, and like not to get too off topic, but like we were talking about that the other day is like, you know, junior college guys when they if you do go on after that, they're just different like coaches know that that's why they're so highly recruited and as a player if i had a junior college guy coming in or if i had a freshman coming in guess who i could rely on more like you know i know what i'm getting with the juco guy like they're gritty
1: they have to be we're all juco guys did you guys think when you guys went to the four-year university that those freshmen that's that went to the four-year university were soft yes super and they were lost
3: like they had they they were baby like deer they had no idea what they were doing
1: <laughs>
2: no mm-hmm. and like whether it's right or wrong like i almost resented them a little bit because i was like you guys have no idea like you're walking into all this gear all this support and it, i'm like you have no idea what it's like to like grind grind mm-hmm. like where you so have true.
1: nothing that is so true like you'd be running and it's s- not their fault yeah it's not their fault but, but I mean, like you'd be you'd be running sprints and You'd be wondering, like, why is this guy acting like an absolute wuss right now? Yeah. Like, yeah. He's literally like bent over and about to throw up, and we've been, we're only in sprint number three.
0: Right.
2: And like to tie compliance into it, it's like when you go to a four year, it's like there's time limits on things, mm-hmm. right? You can only practice for <laughs> so many hours a week. I don't, I, I that was like the <laughs> biggest adjustment. Like, no, but like, I, I but, I'd like, walk
1: on campus and then I'm like, okay, what, what time's practice? And I'm like, oh, I think we start at like four. And I was like, we're not. We're not going earlier. Yeah. Like no, we're gonna start at four, and I think practice will probably end at like six. Yeah. Or the fact that you I didn't even like, start, <laughs> for, you didn't even start practicing
3: with the team in fall until like a month and a half yeah. in.
2: You're like, I, I was like, you mean I don't have to shag fly balls for four hours, like as a pitcher
3: on the first day of school?
2: Yeah. No, JUCO. It's like, oh, we're gonna start at noon, and uh, if you guys, you know, get your twenty-seven hours in a row, then we're out of here. Well, that took six hours. Yeah, yeah. And so. the coach
3: says, and if you piss me off, we're going to stay here for six more hours. Right. Because so exactly, I can it's do whatever just, I want. You're welcome to my world, Grandma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: But no, it's just, it's different at a four year. But I think the third thing I would hire though is um, either tech or a really good support staff, meaning like strength, or develop development would probably be the so you you'd
1: dump a lot of money into the development side
2: in terms of baseball yeah in most sports I mean
1: I think that's why Iowa is so impressive because Iowa is, like Rick Heller is just on top of it I I don't know what his budget is but he is just raking in like stats and knows the ins and outs of every mm-hmm. single player even as recruits like just being able to know what number works and then building off that number yeah
2: and I mean you guys are doing a a ton with that right now right Mm -hmm. and even people you talk to like it's just a data-driven sport at this point and sports across the board are becoming more like that if they aren't already so i think in order to compete and to develop athletes you have to make an investment there um and then once you do make an investment if you can prove to athletes coming in like hey we took a guy who was six foot one 150 pounds as a freshman and he left here as a junior, he left early, at six foot one, two fifteen, and was throwing ninety three. You know, like if you can show athletes that, that's something that might overcome the facility thing. You know, if you are struggling facility wise, but you are developing guys, mm-hmm. well, that's so true.
1: You know, right. because like again, every guy has the dream, like I want to go to the show. Right. That's that's the dream. So right. if you are able to show that progress and be like, this is what I had the guy. He was running a seven flat sixty when he came in here. And now he's running a six six.
2: Yep. And I think of I think of Iowa Western, the community oh, yeah. college. Oh right? Yeah. You're going
1: you're a lot of those guys are giving
2: up four year options. Okay. To go to a two year now they do have really nice facilities for a two year. But they're going to a two year because that staff has proven they can take guys from freshmen and by the time they're a sophomore, they're either gonna put you in a powerhouse four year where you potentially are drafted, and they've consistently done that, so I think if you can show that, you might be able to overcome the whole facility issue. So that'd be the third biggest thing to dump money into.
1: So we went off two tangents. Yeah. Now we got to <laughs> get back onto the yeah, main the main <laughs> topic at hand, which well, I was, enjoyed my time as an athletic director, though. Yeah. yeah but, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Now short-lived. we're gonna we're gonna re- do a quick retirement here. That's all right. Ta- we talked about the diff- the the three parts of the department. We've got the academic. We've got the um, compliance mm-hmm. and then sports information, marketing, Yep, and then business. Sorry, we have four. What, is there another area that we're missing or are we done with the
2: department? Um, you'll typically have a, it works with business, but you'll have a ticketing sales department, um, just their jobs to put butts in the seats. Yep. Um, but that's another area. But again, they work closely. A lot of those all work super closely, like the sports information, the marketing the business and ticket sales, that's might as well just be one giant area. But yeah, those are the typical um, options. And then you have a SWA, Senior Woman Administrator. Um, that's a that's a Title IX thing as well. Mm. You have to have one of those. Um, and they do, a, in my experience, they do a fantastic job. They're basically a second athletic director. So when he's out doing what he needs to do, you know, kissing babies and shaking hands, you know, she's there to um, make sure everything's running smoothly.
1: Gotcha. Now, Title IX, what, what's the requirements on Title Nine? I don't think a lot of people know that. There's a ton. I mean, like, it, it, when you hear Title Nine, a lot of people are like, oh, Title yeah. Nine, or it's like, oh, Title IX. Yeah. No one really knows what it is, I feel like, for mm-hmm. the mass public. I mean, I just assume, like, oh, it's to get more women's sports. That's my assumption. Make it more fair. Yeah, yeah. make it more fair. Equality would be the yeah. biggest yeah. thing. Yeah. It's e-
2: equality? Equality, if you could sum it up in one word, it's just... Equality and that doesn't mean
1: just male and
2: female. That means just equality in general. Correct. And that's not just athletics. I mean, that's institution-wide.
1: Oh, really? Yeah.
2: So So there's Title
1: IX doesn't just go into sports.
2: No. Now, most people think of sports, right? Because the big thing with Title IX when it was introduced is women's sports, right? But no, it's a campus-wide, campus-wide rule that you have to follow. You have to meet certain thresholds. And again, it's it's a very, very, very broad topic that you can go deep down into. But if I can sum it up, it's equality. It's making sure that, okay, you have 12 men's sports. Okay, well, you can't have four women's sports. You know what I mean? Or, oh, you're spending $2 million a year on men's sports. Why are you only spending $400,000 a year on women's sports? Like it, it's equality. What okay? was,
3: there, was there a certain – because I knew that there, you had to have a certain amount of women's sports to men's sports. But wasn't it also a certain amount of – Women's athletes Correct. to men's athletes because yeah. like even specific from enough, what like, I've from what I've understood is football messes that all up because a yes. football roster you have you could have a hundred dudes. Right. on Is it. that
1: why they're trying to do like they're trying to make women's flag football a thing? Well, that's why they're always of, that's why they're, they're always, always looking,
3: looking for yes. a new new women's to try sport to, to get more athletes. Like, like yep. rowing was huge for women mm-hmm. for a while. Huge, it's a huge,
1: that's a huge uh, like roster.
3: Well, I mean, you're just looking for ways to do it because women don't have football. They don't mm-hmm. have a sport so have that can put out. 100 women athletes. That's
2: why most institutions have more women's women sports, sports yeah. because football messes it all up. You have 120 yeah. athletes right there and they're all male. Yeah. So a lot of times it'll look like 10 male sports, 12 to 14 women's sports. How does the
1: club side work of that? Cuz you have it has uh, to be. I don't think I don't think people realize that you have The athletic, like actual sanctioned sports, Mm -hmm. and then there's another stem off of the university, which is club sports. Unless
2: they're getting funding from the athletics department, they don't count towards the athletics Title IX requirements. But
1: the university recognizes them and says that they can wear their logos and brand. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's That's an
2: institution, not an athletic funded event club team. Would that be considered like
1: recreational sports then? Basically, rec
2: sports. Rec sports, your recreation department is typically who runs those, which is completely separate from athletics. Oh, really? Yeah. So, your rec, your recreation, so most campuses will have like a rec center. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they control all of your rec sports, they control a lot of your club activities. They do their own that's funding. What
1: I, that's why I find weird with like, so example, Missouri State has a really good hockey program, but it's a club program and they have a pretty good coach. And like, it's built out. They've, they get fans. It's mm-hmm. a thing. Mm-hmm. They've yeah. never been able to be a sanctioned sport. And they play...
2: Is it men or women's? It's men's.
1: That was probably Title That's Nine.
2: probably... Because if they accept that, which it sounds like would be a smart move because if they're getting fans, there's money, right? Mm-hmm. So it might be a good idea to incorporate them, but then you have, you have to, add you have to find an, yeah, yeah, add another... are just adding... Two women's sports. So you're adding so essentially... You're trying to, so basically teams. you're
1: back-channeling that.
2: Yeah. And so and any revenue you would make from that hockey team is basically going to fund another team. So you're either breaking even or there's another loss. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's not to say women's can, sports don't can, draw money because now, a lot athletic, of them do.
1: Can athletic departments counsel the recreational department? Or are they? Tra- <laughs> is there like a complete dividing line there? Like we have to keep these guys separate.
2: Um, I don't know if there's like a bright line rule that says you have to. In my experience, the only time we worked really close with them was facility usage. Like, hey... It's snowing outside. Our track team needs to run. Can we use the indoor track at the rec center? They're like, yeah, it's open three to five. Okay, we relay that to our coaches. Outside of that, we didn't work super close. At least I didn't with our rec staff at all.
1: And so now we're getting to a point where has it always <laughs> been this way? Where recreational sports are now playing different universities. Has that always been a thing? I feel like that's like new.
2: It was that way when I was in college. So twenty, at least twenty thirteen. Okay. It was that um, one when we played.
1: Really? hmm So th- these guys – I think it depends are-
2: on the size of your school again. Okay. Like, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure, I don't know, North Carolina, they probably have a badass soccer club team that goes and plays – Stanford yeah, soccer yeah. Club I mean there's team. baseball clubs you know? and there's yeah.
3: like we had rugby at Missouri S and T and they'd go play Mizzou because it was a club sport and things of that nature. And like it's a real deal. Like they, yeah. they, they it's yeah,
2: highly competitive. Yeah, it's a yeah. real
3: sport. I mean they have the logo and everything. Yeah. It's just they can't sanction
0: it. Right. We
2: had two or three guys come from the club team at SEMO playing baseball. They w- walked on the baseball team, like funded from the athletic department. The actual hate to say actual. They're both baseball teams the sponsored
1: <laughs> there's gonna be a person that played for like the club yeah, they're gonna You're hear like, this oh we could <laughs> son of you, we could <laughs> we could have they're gonna be so beat mad, your team like my team was so much better than your sanctioned team <laughs> yeah but no they walked on so yeah. like yeah
2: there is some crossover there but they're separate they're separate entities yeah got you
1: okay and then do like the higher coach like is they, it for, it's player manager yeah it's probably it's more player
3: Mr uh, Mr coach player, sir the the senior yeah. and the frat,
1: so it's kind of like Pete Rose, like being the player manager for like the what was he Cincinnati mm-hmm. Reds or Phillies, yeah, Just like weird like player coaches like yeah. I had if you get in an argument with him on the field, I'm like all right, you're benched for like two days,
2: yeah, it'd be like what Yadier Molina is to the Cardinals, yeah, he's like out there on the field and he's coaching at the same time, so
1: yeah, he's like a third, <laughs> fourth, fifth coach, yeah, but I mean coach.
2: to be to be clear, just in case anybody listens to this and they get mad like your rec teams, so your frats and yep, that's different from club teams. Club teams typically get like one jersey and they're they get funding, mm-hmm. whereas rec sports are just sign up and create a team. Yep. So those things are different. So they're okay. basically like three separate. You have athletics, club, and then
1: rec. So, okay, so there's like three layers Correct. to the university yeah. when yeah. it comes to sports. Yep. Typically. Okay, that makes sense. Now, I find it interesting with. Um, counselors in high school because you have really good counselors, and then you have some counselors that just aren't. I would say athletic centric. Yep. They they give recommendations that might not be the right recommendations. Um, I mean, I've I've heard stories where it's like um, an Ivy League school um, is recruiting somebody, and then the person says, "Well, they're not going to be able to give you like example um, University of Washington." Um, or WashU, yeah, St. Louis, Washington University, yeah, one one of the best schools, mm-hmm. arguably Divisively, throughout great the world, academic like university. it's yeah. it's yep. very very good, ridiculous. And they give recommendations that you shouldn't go there because you're not going to get a scholarship, but then a mid major comes in and they offer you forty percent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a no brainer. I'm going to WashU. Like mm-hmm. my my I'm literally set for life Correct. when it go if I go to WashU instead Correct. of going to a mid major D1 school. Yeah. It, not a question. My question is, is that how do you how do you think about it from being in the university standpoint, like a, a recommendation for athletes that are now in high school, how should they approach to get, like, during the recruiting process?
2: Um, it's a good thing you brought this up because I really wanted to hit on this. Um, if you're a high school athlete or you're a parent of a high school athlete, like this is a part that I would definitely listen to is, so we talked about the eligibility I hit on the eligibility center earlier right so it used to be called the clearinghouse. it's mm-hmm. now the eligibility center so because
1: clearing got people co- completely confused right because like so, what did that actually mean I have no idea that's before my time <laughs> no <laughs> one knew you, you just knew you had to do it well yeah. my compliance so I'm at Borgia right and the compliance officer uh, our advisor told me oh did you sign up for the clearing house I'm like what's the clearing house he's like oh it's this thing and then he it was so confusing yep. I was like, well, how do I do this? He, like, gave me no guidance whatsoever. So
2: that's a compliance person's job. Should be. Okay, so if you're a high school athlete, one thing that you need to do, regardless of if you have a really good counselor or not, and if you have a really good counselor, the chances are they're probably already on you about this. If you think you're going to want to play sports in college, you should sign up with the eligibility center when you're, like, a sophomore, if not a freshman. Yep because so the eligibility center essentially to give everybody kind of a brief rundown is it allows the NCAA, the institutions that you potentially want to go to, or that you end up at a big database of information. It's the NCAA's way of saying, here, fill this all out so that we know that you're eligible. And then your guidance counselor and your school are going to put in your test scores, your grades, because to be eligible for college sport, you have to meet the grades beforehand right and have certain much. amount of core classes and, right. you have to have else. 16. and each high school is different yeah, yeah. you have to have and 16 core classes and like you said it varies drastically from high school to high yep. school um, and so there are requirements that you have to meet and they differ d1 d2 d3 but there's always requirements no matter what level you go into and those high school counselors are there to assist you and to make sure your grades are getting in there now well, if you don't have well, a good one what you need to do is you need to be very proactive. And I think you should be proactive with that regardless. Make that account your freshman, sophomore year. And then once you start getting to your junior year, you need to be checking that almost, I would say minimum once a month. Just hop on there because it's gonna blast you notices on your profile. Like, hey, you need to do this. Hey, requesting your amateurism is open now. You should fill that out. Okay, so then if you get on there, you see those, okay, i fill it out. Because the worst thing that can happen and it'll drive your compliance office nuts, is it's the summer before you're getting on campus and you don't have a single thing done. Because so they, have, then to, they have to
1: get that checkbox <clears throat> done.
2: Correct. I have to get it done. So either I have to reach out to your counselor in high school or you have to do it. You know. So it's just get in there, get that stuff done, um, stay up to date with it. And then one other thing is let your counselors know ahead of time that yep. you're thinking about college sports because then they can figure out what your school's core classes are to make sure that you are meeting those because there's nothing worse, and we've had it happen multiple times, is, and it typically happens in smaller schools. I went to a small high school. I didn't know any of this stuff. In a lot of cases, it's smaller schools, and what happens is it's their senior year. They have decent grades, Mm -hmm. but they are at 11 of 16 core classes.
3: Because certain classes just don't count. They, yeah, they just they, don't count. They, towards, they don't count yeah, towards they, it.
2: Yeah, and the NCAA approves all of those, so the high school sends off their curriculum, and then the NCAA approves which ones meet it and which ones don't. Um, And so the last thing you want to do is get to your senior year, and yep. I'm short five core classes. Yep. Like, that's devastating. Now I'm taking now you summer can, classes, and right, I'm doing this. You can this get and, there, but you're going to be taking three summer classes, yep. and it's going to be a pain, Yep. and you're probably paying for that out of pocket, Yep. potentially. So make sure that your counselors know, one, what the eligibility center is, two, that you want to play college sports, and then three, follow up with them to make sure that you are in classes that are going to meet those requirements. And then, like I said, continuously check that. And as you start to get recruited, check it even more, twice a month.
3: That That's why it's super important, like you said, freshman, sophomore year.
2: Yeah, just register. And you're not going to do almost anything your freshman, sophomore year with mm. it at all. No. Um, But once you start getting late into sophomore year, junior year, you need to be on there at least once a month. And then, like I said, just gently remind your counselor, like, hey, you know, I'm a junior. Schools are starting to reach out. Just want to make sure that everything's good, I'm in the right classes, um, that you guys are uploading it. Could you maybe upload last semester's transcripts for me? Mm -hmm. Stuff like that.
1: Obviously, it needs to be ownership of the player to get that stuff done, but you only know what you know, right? Yeah. Do you think that a guidance counselor should meet with all of the athletes in a high school to explain this? I would recommend
2: it. And I wish, and they're starting to do a better job, but I wish the NCAA would do a better job of that, the
1: outreach to high schools. Because, again, I've had really good counselors, Mm -hmm. and I've also had really bad counselors. Mm -hmm. And I remember one gal from Borgia that was just phenomenal. She was just an awesome, awesome person. Then I had another one that literally didn't tell me anything. I got transferred to him. Yeah. And I had no idea. I was literally like lost. Yeah. And I had to do everything my senior year and it was miserable. Right. So you recommend that from a counselor standpoint, they need to take a proactive approach. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously it's hard because only 7% of athletes are going to play college sports. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think it would be better to just literally blanket the whole group because then you're naturally going to have fallout but then you're going to grab those people that are all on the same page. Yeah.
2: What I would recommend, and we did this with college athletes, you corral team by team in high school's case. It's probably depending on how big your high school is set a time, whether it's Tuesday afternoon at four o'clock, we're all meeting in a computer lab or a place that has a ton of computers, right? Set them down their sophomore year and just say, Hey, you guys are athletes. If you know, you're going to college or if you don't, let's just log on and create an account. Now, the account you're going to need to be certified costs money. Um, I think it's like 60 bucks, mm-hmm. something like that, yep. $60, $70. But there is just a basic registration account. So I think high school counselors should mandate that if you're playing sports, we're going to meet and you're at least going to sign up for that registration account. It's completely free. Let's just knock it out at one time. Let's go over just the very like- bare essentials of what you need to do the next three years. If you want to play college sports.
1: So it's almost like you have to do like initial meeting to explain to all the sports yeah, and then have a secondary <laughs> meeting and say, all right, we're going to meet yeah. in the computer lab, yeah. bring your 60 bucks or credit card or whatever, right. and then let's get this knocked out.
3: Correct. Jared, is, is there a difference? So say I'm student A who I'm going to go try to play baseball at Mizzou and I'm student B. I'm just going to go be a journalism major at Mizzou i mean there's common core classes for just general admissions is there a Correct. difference in terms of athletic admissions than general admissions or to be eligible for scholarships or how does that work
2: yeah um it'll vary so the institution side is going to vary institution to institution yep. right what you have to do now they're mostly the same you got to have i don't know i don't know what they are like you have to have three approved math courses yeah, three science, you know yeah. and athletic typically is very similar to those. Now there is some differences you have to meet. Like I said, 16 core classes. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to have like four English, three math, two science, two natural sciences, and then like four other ones, which might be a Spanish or something like that. Okay. Your main institution's admissions might not have all of those requirements and they sure as heck aren't going to have a list of specific exact classes that you're limited to. Um, they might, but it's not going to be as restrictive. Sure. So yes, um, you know, it's much easier most of the times, unless you're going to a Wash U or something like that, most of the time it's easier to meet the school's admissions criteria than it is the NCAAs. Got it. So again, working with guidance counselors and like you said, not every guidance, can, it's not like they take a course on this and no. Like, hey, this is how it's a the very NCAA hard works. job. Like, it if is. you
1: think about it, they have a ton to and, deal with. And I don't want to like bash on counselors. I've just been giving you guys examples of like what I've been through. Yeah. But it is a very difficult job because you have, if you're at a small school like mine, there was 500 students. You have 500 souls that you're trying to figure out and try to get them past high school and try to get them to. You're guiding them. Yeah. On what what major do you want? Right. And literally talking to a high school person. On how to what what do you want to do what, for your degree? Yeah. What do you like, want out of life? Yeah, like that's a that's a, I mean I still don't know what I want to do with my life, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and I feel like education on from a compliance office mm. and talking to the counselors from the NCA down because they only know what they know, right? And if you're able to deliver, they're like, hey, this is our pain points. Mm. If we if you guys can solve this, it'll help uh, help the process a lot better,
2: right? And I again. You know, that might start with high school principals. It might Mm -hmm. start with the vice principals. Guidance counselors have a ton on their plate. Like you said, they're trying to graduate people. They might have students who have a lot deeper issues than potentially playing college sports, right? I'm sure it's one of the last things on their list. So that gets back to the proactive side. You know, if you're an athlete and you were thinking about it, you don't got to be rude with it, but just remind them. Like, hey,
1: could you please, you know, upload my transcripts or just
2: want to check in with you make sure I'm all good. You know, so just be proactive, but yeah, schools should.
1: Which, again, it starts with this podcast. I mean, and I bet you a bunch of people were listening to this and they're like, I had no idea we yeah. had to do that. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's super simple.
2: It's just a matter of actually doing it. Like the eligibility center, I will say, you know, the NCAA doesn't always get things right in my opinion, but they have a fantastic eligibility center. Like it's super user-friendly. You log in and if you have something to do, it's going to literally smack you in the face across the screen. Right.
1: So just make sure you're staying on top of that. So the original idea when asking you to come on to and podcasting this was I had a situation with one of our players that had a, he had a really good question. Like it, mm-hmm. it was, it was a phenomenal question and I wanted to make sure that I was answering it correctly because like. In my head I was like, "Oh, that's a that's an easy answer." Like, you just, uh, don't don't worry about it. It's fine." And I started thinking about it was like, "Man, what happens if I'm that guy that ends up giving him the wrong answer and then like 3 years later, the NCAA slaps him and he can't play sports anymore." Yeah. That I would feel miserable. Mm-hmm. The, this scenario came up and I want you to run through the scenario and I you did a really good job on the phone with me um, talking about one of your athletes that did like an was doing the Olympic trials. Mhm. So the athlete, for everyone that's listening, got just got invited to a really prestigious event um, for Perfect Game. And they were looking for ideas to find ways to get him down to that event and reduce out-of-pocket costs. And so they ran um, a GoFundMe. And obviously family, friends, public can end up going on GoFundMe and literally give them the funds to go to the event. Mm -hmm. And you had a really good answer. Like I asked, can he do that? Will this bite him in the butt later on down the road, go through the scenario and how you would handle that. Um, So it is tricky and, but short answer is he can do it. Short answer is he
2: can, he can do it. There are just as with everything with the NCAA, there are a lot of loopholes that you need to be aware. Not loopholes. That's not the right, correct term. But there's just a lot of things you need to be aware of. The best thing you can do is
1: playing field. You gotta know the playing field. You gotta know the rules. Correct.
2: And so before you ever do anything as an athlete, double check. Double check. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whether that's reaching out with you guys like he did, which was fantastic. Um, if you are potentially getting recruited, check with your school compliance office first. But so the situation was like you said, he needed assistance, right? The short answer is yes, but there are some restrictions, right? So the NCAA, and I pulled it up, um, the language they use is actual and necessary expenses. So this is pre college enrollment. You're not out of school yet. You can have friends and family. Um, family is the better option. If you can keep it family only, it's just safer. It is. Um, but they can pay for your actual and necessary expenses. So, what it costs to enter into that event, okay? So they can pay for what it costs for that registration, for um, the travel to get there, okay? If it's relating to that event, yes, it can probably be covered. Now you need to cap it, okay? So if it costs $575, let's just say for instance, I don't know where I got that number, but if it costs $575, once you hit that amount, you can't accept anymore because then you're accepting over the actual and expenses. You're technically
1: getting paid to play. Then you're because crossing
2: over into you're accepting money to go play. You're making a profit. It, at it that attacks time. your amateur status. Correct. And the lo- last thing you want to do as a high school athlete is do something that jeopardizes your amateurism status because you're either going to lose a year. You only mm-hmm. get four you're going to lose a year of college eligibility, or if it's serious enough, you just won't have any. Okay, and then you're out of options. So anytime you're accepting funds, be very, 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 very cautious. Um, can, can you define
3: real quick what, what amateurism is or what amateur status is for people that don't Yeah, know?
2: basically, they the NCAA wants to make sure, very, at the most general level, the NCAA wants to make sure that you have never been a prof- professional, and they define professional as... You're getting paid. You're getting some kind of benefit, whether it's a sponsorship or gear, or
1: a meal, a, a car ride, yeah, a photocopy. <laughs> a, photocopy. <laughs>
2: yeah. a a single meal probably wouldn't cross you over that, but like if you're like, let's just say, for instance, your AAU coach. Let's go to basketball. If your AAU coach is paying your rent so that you play on his team, you're a professional.
1: Weapons, if the player stays with you,
2: what do you mean? Oh, stays with you, like as a. You need to be a little cautious there too. Because
1: then they're feeding you. Yes. They're housing you.
2: Yeah. So, we've had that issue in my very short two years. Like well, that was we, the whole
1: Michael Orr situation. Yeah.
2: And they're like, like I said, it's all these things are going to depend situation to situation. Like, there's no. With NCAA rules, there's really no bright line rule. Here's how you do it. Here's mm-hmm. how you don't do it. Like, it depends
1: it's on the that exact situation. It's the epitome of a Pandora's box. Yeah. Like, every single situation yeah. is a Pandora, Pandora box.
2: Yeah. It's tricky. I mean, the smallest things that you don't even think of can cross over into that. Um, but the amateurism thing is just m- make sure you're not getting paid in any way to mm-hmm. go play for you know, your sport to go play baseball. Make sure the Rawlings Tigers aren't paying you to play, right? That'd be number one. Um, But it gets tricky when it gets into, you know, taking money to go play in that event, right? Mm -hmm. You just have to make sure that you're doing it properly. Accept it only from family if you can. Only accept the amount necessary. Um, Stay away from people that you know give money to universities like spiker if you give
1: if i'm a donator to missouri state baseball yeah. let's just say yeah and i know missouri state's gonna go to that event don't accept
2: money from you would be my
3: you remember the whole miami football deal back in the uh was it early 2000s what happened there with uh neville shapiro uh-huh. oh so yeah, yeah, yeah. he was i think that was his name but he was a big booster and like i uh, mean well-off guy i think he was into finance and he loved miami football miami football was really good back in those days and you'd always see – I think it's Neville. But anyway, you'd always see him, like, you know, the smoke that they'd run out of. Well, he'd always be standing right there on that field with the Miami football jersey on. And then, long story short, he was into the Miami, like, night scene, wanted to have the players out with him, so he was giving them all kinds of improper benefits, basically treating them – the whole story was, because they did a 30-for-30 series on ESPN, the Miami University football players were being – Bigger celebrities and being treated better than the Miami Dolphins football players who were professional <laughs> yeah. in that area. Yeah, like it was a, it was a bigger deal to be a, a hurricane than a dolphin. Yeah, and so they were just they were accepting all kinds they, of improper they didn't benefits get the death sentence and like SMU like nope.
1: SMU got the death sentence.
3: Nope, and they, uh, yeah. So long story short, he was he was doing it to become more popular, be, be in the in crowd, giving them money, giving them shoes, giving them this, that, whatever, all kinds of you know club money stuff like that. And it was uh, obviously that that was against amateurism status. Correct.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a that's a big one right there. Yep. But it, it small things can cross you over. Um. So I've hit on a couple of things. You know, just be careful with what you're accepting and how. The situation we had was we had a gymnast at Semo who, who was invited to perform, for like the Canada national team in this international event, right? But she didn't have the money, and they weren't paying her to do it. They couldn't pay her to do it. Mm-hmm. So we had to set up a GoFundMe and we couldn't use – it's it's a very tricky thing to do. We couldn't use her n- name or status as a student-athlete to raise that funds. So it's kind of like, hey, here's a random GoFundMe. Um, help out if you can. Mm-hmm. And then we have to track, you know, who donates to that. Now it's a little different because she was at, at the time a college athlete. Um, but if you're a high school player and that situation happens where you need some funds – Keep track of who gives you money is one thing I would just make sure you're keeping track of it and then make sure it's only, only being used for what it actually costs to attend that event and then cap it. And if you somehow accidentally get more, if you cross over there, if it's 575 and you get $700, try to figure out who was the last to donate or give it back.
1: back. Yeah. What's the difference between that and can you do like a fundraising event where you, transfer like a t-shirt or something like you give something you could does that does that but help negate that you could
2: but again it you have to be careful because you can't at this time you can't use your status as hey i'm a really good athlete oh me. and use your brain mm-hmm. like i couldn't put my face on there and be like hey here's some t-shirts
3: because for... because why isn't steve who's going to school as a math major he's really really smart really good at math but he's not getting benefits as being a math major exactly i mean i'm a big fan of steve I think hey i love it i think steve's gonna be do really well s- in life smarter than me <laughs> but, but yeah
2: like you couldn't like just make some random t-shirt whatever you put yeah. on it and then put out posters that says you know like spiker helms missouri state baseball players selling you know you can't
1: do or that. Come to the party.
2: Yeah. Like, Hey, buy this shirt because I'm an athlete, like, you know, because you're an athlete, you got to stay away from anything to do with your athletics involvement. If you can fundraise by going and buying mm-hmm. a bulk thing at Snickers bars and just selling them out. Yeah, go for it, you know, but be very careful about using your status as an athlete or what you do as an athlete on the field to raise money
3: off topic. But can you imagine how difficult it was for like LeBron James when he was a senior in high school, knowing that he was going to make millions of dollars. Can you imagine how many people were coming over to him talking about endorsements,
1: this endorsements Well, they're, they're in arenas. Yeah. Yeah. Like think about all the sports agents. Like they're like Hawks. Yeah,
2: for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's another topic. You gotta
3: like vet your friends. You gotta vet your family. You gotta vet all these people because even if they take bene- if they take benefits, right, that affects you.
2: Yeah. So if they're accepting benefits on your behalf, or if they're profiting off of what you're doing, it can yeah. that can cross you over. That's like I didn't even well, do anything I wrong. Just like because I mean, then they're technically in the NCAA's eyes, they're an agent. You don't have to be licensed as an agent. Yeah. You don't have to go to law school to be an agent in the NCAA's eyes. If you're accepting money or bargaining yeah. on behalf of student Jimmy over here, you know, if you're taking money because you're associated with him, you are an agent
1: at that point. How do brands cause they get those deals pretty early? So like Shaquille O'Neal's deal when he comes out of the out of college LSU, Michael Jordan with North Carolina. Like they were like the minute he signs. That's yep. when they can start negotiations. They can't start negotiations before that? Yeah,
2: they could, but so what we did with our football player, we had a football player. Whenever I was at SEMA, who was drafted by the Cleveland Browns, as soon as his last game was over, and he knew he was not coming back, he could go talk to an agent. That's it him didn't de- have to. That's be before him declaring, though, right? That's the same thing. Like, but it can't be before that. It wouldn't necessarily be officially declaring, but as soon as he talks to that agent, his college status is done. Like, as soon as you start dealing gotcha. with an agent, you are signing, hypothetically signing the papers yeah. saying, "I am okay. done," because if it gets found out that you're dealing with an agent, like, yeah, that's your eligibility. That's gone.
1: Do agents try to work around that?
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So the NCAA now, um, recently within the last couple of years, they've only done it for basketball, but I probably see them going towards it towards all sports in the future is you can work with an agent prior to officially declaring for the NBA draft, but there are a lot of restrictions and that, Agent has to go through the NCAA's own certification process, so they have mm. to be certified by the NCAA.
1: Let me guess, that costs money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: No <laughs> money in
1: the
0: NCAA. I can't imagine. Yeah,
1: I would. I will say this: if chances
2: are, like, let's just say, high school baseball player, because you can get drafted out of high school, right? I'll throw this out there: if you're good enough to be drafted as a high school baseball athlete, chances are you probably are going a school somewhere have offers somewhere mm-hmm. before you talk to an agent or sign with an agent or even get into dealings with an agent i would contact your school get in touch they with don't their. call them agents so they call them advisors same thing advisors agent friend like i gotta <laughs> text jimmy hey i'm i'm with blah 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 i'm an advisor yeah advisor agent friend who's making me money there's there's, there's it's yeah. the same thing in yeah. ncaa's eyes so Chances are if you find yourself in that spot, you're probably playing college ball or have a chance to mm-hmm. contact your compliance office. What they're going to want to do is either tell you, they're not going to tell you not to meet with him because you know, there's a chance you can make good money mm-hmm. out of high school, but they're probably going to want to sit in on the meeting. We always tell our guys and gals at Semo is like, if you get contacted by an agent before you do anything, let us know and we can sit down and talk, but we physically Either the AD or the compliance officer has to be involved at that and like at that conversation. Mm-hmm. It can't be a one on one with just you and the agent.
1: Mm-hmm. I could see how that could be like a problem for an athlete because then you don't know who to trust. Like this guy over here is offering me probably like big dollars. Like why would I want to come to you and like tell me how to handle the situation? Like that'd be super tough as me as an athlete. like like you're trying to prevent me from making money. Yeah. that's where, how do you convince someone to say like, I have the, I have your best interest. Like, yes, I work for the university, but trust me, I have better interest than this guy because he's just Mm -hmm. trying to make money off you. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's, it's like any other business or team. How do you get your teammates to follow along? You got to build a relationship first, right? So as a compliance officer, it's really tough because like we said, when we first started, you walk into a room and you're not everybody's favorite person to bed, see. You're the yeah. But like, it's your job to build a relationship with those student-athletes, and oftentimes we do because we see them a lot. Once you have that relationship and that trust and you relay to them that, hey, listen, I'm not trying to jip you out of $500,000 right now, but I want to make sure that you don't sign something that you don't know what you're getting into or that you don't know could end your college career right now, you know, because it has happened where people talk with an agent multiple times, the agent backs out at the last second, but they've already committed. And now they can't play college ball anymore. And they've lost the chance to sign with an agent who could make them in pro ball. So they're in limbo and you're out of options. So we try to relay that to athletes. is like, listen, I'm not there to stop you, but I'm there to just make sure that, Hey, if you back out, if you sign or if you continue talking with them right now and something goes wrong, you've just cut yourself off in college. So it's just making sure that they know those fine lines.
1: Cause I mean a hungry agent is going to play that FOMO game with them. Yeah. Which is tough.
2: Yeah. And that's not out to like vilify agents, you know, but like there are some, I mean, there's some really good agents there's out there. Some I've, very ta- good I've talked to
1: some really class acts, but then 100%. But, I mean, if you're a guy that's first starting out, and you're taking again, risks. It's a cutthroat Yeah, yes. you're taking risks. I want to make my dough. I want to be the next Boris. Mm-hmm. I got to make a move. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: and so, and it's not, like I said, it's not always agents. You know, it happens a ton in basketball with AAU. There's some shady stuff that goes on in AAU basketball where, you know, maybe you do come from a harder upbringing, right? And all of a sudden, that money looks real good and you have your uncle over there who's not an agent who works down at the local shipping yard or Mm -hmm. whatever and, but he's negotiating on your behalf. Well, right. There you go. Like he's an agent at that point, you know? So it's just tricky.
1: How do you handle the social media aspect? Because if, because me, I'm more entrepreneurial, right? Um, and if I was more entrepreneurial inside of sports, like I, I wasn't really totally focused, hyper-focused on baseball, which I was. But if I had like this inkling of developing like a business, Outside of my athletic career, how do you handle that from a social media standpoint? Because like these kids are building brands, yeah. and like if I'm an influencer, I can make some pretty good dough right off the bat. Yep. I can either go sponsorship, or I could sell baseball cards. I could sell shoes. I could, if I'm good at graphic design, I could sell something that deals with graphic design.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How does how do you approach that?
2: I think the last time I checked, Trevor Lawrence had like 600,000 followers or more as an athlete. So this is a huge, huge topic of discussion right now. Um, And it has been for several years.
1: It could be attractive for a university
2: to bring that person in too. Yeah. So the way, I'll start with the way it is now, the rules now around that. Um, When these will change, I have no idea. But right now. You can have whatever business you want as a student athlete if if it does not involve you using your name, image or likeness or status as a college athlete. <laughs> <laughs> so basically you're so not allowed basically, basically you can't do it. Yeah, so we'll say
1: that you can, but technically, yes. So sorry. social
2: media, why do you have those followers? Because your name's on it they know that you are the starting quarterback at Clemson and that's why they follow you. That's why you have your status. And if you wanted, if Trevor Lawrence wanted to get on there and post an ad with, I don't know, like Gatorade, he's holding a Gatorade ball. Says I drink Gatorade before every game. Can't do it.
1: Well, even subliminal messaging. Yeah. How does the NCAA know that? Like I use, let's just say I drink Gatorade. That's my brand. I'm drinking Gatorade. As long as it's not a clear promotion. And I don't want that to
2: come across. I don't want people to th- think, oh, well, now I can get away yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, I don't want that to be the case. But like if I just randomly take a picture and I'm wearing an Under Armour polo, right? If I just take a picture and post it on Instagram and I'm wearing an Under Armour polo, that's fine. Like, I'm not promoting it. Mm-hmm.
0: But what happens
1: if you keep wearing that over and over again? Does that raise a red flag or does that mean oh, this, sure. this kid likes I Under Armour? I think Armor?
2: it would raise a red flag to investigate it a little bit. And again, it's all going to come down to context. Because,
1: because you know how some people are. There's some people that are just die hard. Die hard. Yeah. Like whatever. I'm a die hard Apple fan. I love Apple products. Yeah. And, and whenever I post a video, you'll, you might see me with my iPhone or with my computer. Mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of Apple products, even my AirPods. I just I think, love that brand. I think if it's incidental, no big deal,
2: right? But it's a tough, tough, tough area. And my last year, this was the number one violation that we had. And we reiterated it to athletes non-stop. Like, hey, you can't use your social media account, your personal social media account that's connected to, you know, your status and who you are as a person to sell stuff. Like we had a soccer player who started a very good business. She was reselling and she still does it now and she's done, but she was basically thrifting for clothes. Um, so she was flipping it. Yeah, but she would also change them, create them. She knew how to sew. She was doing things. So she was creating her own clothing Mm -hmm. line, but she had the link to the website on her Instagram profile. She would take pictures with herself and other student athletes in the clothes tagging the clothing website Mm -hmm and that right there is a violation.
1: I mean, there's another layer to this. Like, so let's just say she does, okay, I can't use my personal social media. I get it. So she starts an account for her new mm-hmm. so her her clothing brand. What happens if she she's the owner and operator of that business and she uses herself as the model because that's the only way you can do that as a solo entrepreneur. You have to literally do everything you possibly can to get the brand out. Yeah. So that's what she ended up doing. We had to
2: set up with some caveats. So we had to set up her own Instagram page, which she already had it, but she had to remove anything from her personal that connected to that business. And then when it comes down to posting, so for her case, it was closed, right? When it came down to making content for that website, she couldn't use like face up. Like, it couldn't be, you couldn't know it was her wearing the clothes.
1: Now, what happens if she puts a picture of herself on her Instagram? She says, okay, I get it. And then she accidentally, like, you know how it is. Like, you're out at the beach having fun with your teammates and you're wearing your clothing brand. Can't tag it. Mm-mm. Well, you can't tag the business or I can't can st- tag the business. But now, I can still could, wear it. She
2: could wear it as long as it's not in the comments, like, oh, I got this from such and such website or.
1: But I could have the big brand name here, like. <laughs> As long Betty's as Betty's shirts
2: as yeah, as long as you're not blatantly promoting that item. Like if you just happen to be wearing it, sure. A lot of gray area. There's a ton. Then, so and I can't this- say like,
1: Oh, I got this new shirt. From- exactly.
2: And this is hmm. why compliance officers struggle so, so much with this, like social media. There's so many rules around social media that like we talked about with some of the other rules, they are nearly impossible to track and they are nearly impossible to imp- force because there's just so many of them you know like there's just so many instances like what crosses the line what doesn't okay even if it does cross a line how am i going to find out about it like I, i'm not going to spend six hours of my time scrolling through student athletes social media feeds like i don't have that kind of time Like Mm-mm. we're busy people you know unless you have a staff of 60 compliance officers it's just not possible so that's what there's a lot of advocating on behalf of compliance officers to Dean Sebeck, like, listen, we need to figure something out. And this is a national debate because this gets into NIL, so name image likeness. And it's a hot, hot topic. It's been a hot topic in college athletics within just athletics for a long time. And within the past couple of years, really since um, EA Sports came out with you know the video games, and then they had to shut it down. Ever since that, it's been a hot topic nationally. There are several bills um, in the legislative process in the last two years that are addressing this. People are introducing bills to try to target this and to allow college athletes the same, really the same rights as any other person, right? Because if I'm just Joe Schmoe on campus, it doesn't matter. I can have my own business and promote it all I want. Mm -hmm. It's my right of publicity, right, is what Mm -hmm. it's called for everybody else legally. But in the NCAA, it's name, image, likeness. And so
1: that's, that's so interesting because with NCAA football and baseball, I know that baseball was a big game that everyone played. I played it, but if I'm a player and I see that my, my name's being, or it's not, they didn't use names, but it was literally like, you could tell it was you, it was, yeah, you could tell it was you yeah. and I wasn't getting paid for that Yep, or cause it'd be cause major league baseball. If I, if I remember correctly, MLB the show those video games, they pay the union, right? And then mm-hmm. the union ends up divvying up that money to all the players. Correct. And cause it's copyright. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And so that's one of the, um, it's in a bill right now that's in Congress. That's one of the ideas is so there's a mix between name, image likeness, NIL and paying players outright, which is another conversation as well. Mm-hmm. What's the balance. And for the record, like I'm, Pro players should be able to use their own name and image to profit, but I also understand that there are a
1: ton of nuances to that. Well, it's um, a, it goes back; it's Pandora's box. Yeah. Like if the, I, I'm I and I've said it before, I'm for athletes getting paid, but I'm also I can see that other side and be like, that's a slippery slope. It's a
2: ginormous slippery slope because let's get back to if we allow student athletes to just you know, profit off their social media, just like everybody else. How do you, how do you control what they are sponsoring? Because they're still representing your institution. So we'll say Trevor Lawrence, he's still representing Clemson. He's making money because he's a Clemson student athlete. So as an institution, do I get a say in who he gets to, who sponsors him or what he represents? Because what if he represents a company that has some shady dealings or Mm -hmm. it's not really a, um, Image appropriate. Appropriate image, yeah. I mean, the whole idea from the compliance side is, yeah, I can't track a lot of this stuff and there's a lot of gray area. But then if you allow it, how am I going to track that? You know, again, I'm going back to I have to literally stalk social media pages. So it's like both sides are super hard to enforce, you know, and it's very hard to just open it up completely and just be like, yeah, do whatever you want, you know, because then you're going to have 95% of your student athlete body isn't going to be making any money from that. It's going to be five, six, seven players who make really, Mm -hmm. really, really good money. But then the rest of your student athletes are like, what the hell? You know, and that's not, that's not, but, but the, at the, the flip, flip side, side like says
3: I've made that university right. a ton of money. Well, 100%. that's true.
1: That's very true. I mm. mean,
3: the, the, the flip side, sorry, the flip side of that argument is let's say I'm Trevor Lawrence, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I look in the stands and I see 50,000 people wearing my jersey number. Yep. My jersey number, not, not the third string lineman's jersey number, mine. Yep. I know that jersey retails at $60.
2: That's a lot of money. I know, and like at its face, you know, I
3: ESPN is talking about me all the time. Yeah, and, it, and that's the Everybody's thing. Everybody's right? talking about me. It's like you've now they're that talking right. about Clemson. Well, think about like these hundred thousand people are in the stands because of me.
1: Well, Justin Bieber ends up making he's making more money than like at, when he was in his pr- like prime early years. Yeah. Like he's still in his prime, but in, in his early years, that's debatable. <laughs> I don't know his album. you like, <laughs> better make fun. Of me. I think it's pretty it. good. But even Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift's my age, and she was raking in all this money. And if I was a Mizzou football player, like if I was Chase Daniels, I'd be super pissed because I'm making this university a lot of money. Everyone knows who I am. Sam Bradford, same deal during that time frame. And we're competing for national championships. I'm as popular as Taylor Swift. I'm not getting paid. I'm getting paid the basically I would call it minimum wage tuition. Well, and, and it's
3: the fact that you're not getting paid. You see everybody making money off you. Everybody is. Even you know, you know, stores in the mall are selling your stuff, making money off of you, right? And there's like little yeah, yeah. the top your like yeah, they, I mean everybody's making. Rally yeah. houses are making money off you. You're not. And on top of well, that, beer sales. I can't sales even can go happen. get a job because I'm. I'm in the weight room, I'm in practice, I'm in school, I'm doing everything 80 hours a week, I, I don't have time to even get a job. Yep. You know, I think the, the the term is called indentured servant. Yeah. That, that's been thrown around.
2: And it, it's just a difficult, difficult thing because, yes, at this on one hand, they have earned that right, right? Yep. They've put in the hours, they've put in the work, they have made themselves into a marketable product at that point. But on the flip side, to play devil's advocate, like we said, it's going to be five guys. And on a football team, you have yeah. 100. What kind of, you're getting into a oh, team yeah. culture issue there. For sure. Because you're going to have a ton of resentment. Well, um, Because on one hand, yeah, you get it. Like, okay, Trevor's our guy. But, like, he's making, as a college athlete, he could make $300,000, and I'm still only making whatever my scholarship is if I have a scholarship. So it's then like, you're getting it's into like a the, culture issue where there's going to be a
1: ton of, Clash, It seems like we're in the very beginnings of when like, big money was coming into baseball, like Babe Ruth, getting paid what he was getting yeah. paid, and then everyone else was just literally getting paid chump change. Like, I could only imagine what the dynamics were on that day. Right. So it's just... It's, it's like... At some so point, how do you make
3: it equal? Because like, I, I didn't deserve to get paid. No. I mean, my, I, didn't, my, I didn't either. My eight yeah. ERA in Division Two baseball wasn't worthy of getting money. Yeah. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah.
2: And I don't think, in my opinion, and again, this is speculation in my opinion, but like... I don't ever see institutions having, having to pay athletes themselves. I, In my opinion, I don't see it being possible unless you're a power five. To They're talking about
3: the stipend though, right? The Isn't stipend's possible.
2: And then what I see happening are one of two options or both. One option is just allowing them to make money off of their own name, image, and likeness if possible. Um, but again, we talked about all the issues that come along with that. And the other thing is um and this is something that's been introduced recently was it's like uh like revenue sharing or i forget the actual term what it was it was group licensing Hmm. so basically the ncaa makes all this money off of tv contracts off of the college football playoffs off of march madness one thing they could do is okay the money that's made off of all those licensing deals whether that be t-shirts jerseys tv deals we're gonna split that up, divide it amongst all our college athletes, and you get paid. Everybody gets paid the exact same, based on that. Like hmm. you're
1: still getting paid, but technically they would already do that. Is that, right? is to that across, certain, across all to an levels? Extent, they do because they because they they share it with the universities. Like the SEC, I think they're getting close to one bill per year yeah. on on rev. Is that is that across
3: all levels? So D three athletes make the same as a Division one athlete.
1: See, that's another thing. It's like how do you would, you would the think SEC athlete—that's the might, same as that the might OVC. Kill, that might kill Division three. Yeah, that could kill it.
3: Well, and what's even happening now? Because I heard the Pac twelve is talking about paying athletes sooner than anyone else. So does that mean every? So naturally, you would
1: think most athletes are going to go out to the Pac twelve. I want to go get yeah, paid. Yeah. Right? Well, if I'm getting if I'm getting recruited by Stanford versus Alabama. Yeah.
2: There's a huge disparity there.
1: Yeah. So like education then, wise, yeah, I I win with Stanford. Yeah. Baseball wise,
3: I mean it's comparable. It goes back to the whole reason the NCAA is blocking is equality. They want oh, yeah. to keep everything together. Right.
2: Because if Pac twelve if the Pac twelve decides to do that, they're essentially
3: they're gonna be their
0: own breaking NCAA. away
2: and they will only be limited to playing Pac twelve teams. Yep. So yeah, you can pay your players, but you're gonna play the same
3: Yeah, the NCAA same ten teams. Then they basically
1: you're seeing you're gonna see, like is a free market economy it'll it'll turn
3: into the haves and the have-nots oh yeah
2: it'll be a, if that happens it'll be a completely broken market you're just it's going to be conference by conference your power five schools will make it and your mid-majors and below are going to turn into essentially just they're going to cut sports they're going to cut a lot mm-hmm. of things they're going to cut a ton of sports because they're not going to have funding and if mm-hmm. they do have the funding it's basically going to turn into just a club option
1: because I mean, how does a mid-major survive with their football program? Because they not, come they're into, not getting the fans. They that come the power into Mizzou and are. get paid a million
2: dollars to get their yep. butt kicked. That's that's a, so
3: that's basically,
1: that's basically how they survive their football program. Their budgets got killed this year with COVID. Yeah,
2: it's a ton of money that they make off of games like that.
1: So that basically, they play that one game to basically support the rest of the year.
2: That yeah, it I helps mean a lot. It's not the only thing, but it's a big. I mean, it's a significant chunk. Like, you know. What is I mean, CEMO CEMO did that. CEMO football. Recently, they've been very, very, very successful at the FCS level. Very successful. But, I mean, if we're being honest, they're no powerhouse. They're obviously not a powerhouse FBS school. Yeah. But we go play Ole Miss. We go play Mizzou. And they're making at least three hundred to $500,000 from that game. That supports – we go back to the whole revenue sharing thing. That supports not only the football team for that year. That's supporting gymnastics, mm-hmm. tennis, baseball, golf. You know,
1: so it's like a suicide mission basically
2: to help everybody. That's why, that's why those big schools are so ticked when they lose those games. Cause not only are they, <laughs> they, losing, just, they just losing, they got embarrassed on a national TV, but they're also losing hundreds of thousands of dollars to lose. That's why coaches get fired. Yeah. You lose one of those games, you're on the hot seat immediately.
1: I mean, that that would suck to write that bill. Like literally like we, we just lost 30 to 20. Unbelievable. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah. But I don't know. It's, I think it's definitely the closest now it's ever been to change happening, but it's still a question of how soon, and there is going to be a ton of, even if something would get passed, you know, hey, we're going to pass this bill, and athletes are going to be able to profit off their name, image, likeness. Okay, you've told us that, but now what are the nuances? How do we order the limits? How do you
1: monitor that? I mean, that just... And
2: the problem is a lot of these people who are introduced... The legislation, the vast majority of them have no idea how a college campus works. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it because it looks good on paper, and they probably do care, you know, about athletes. They probably do, but they just don't understand how it works. Like one of the ones that's out there is like, they get nil compensation, which we talked about, but they also get fifty percent profit. And then one of the like options is your scholarship for as long as your degree takes, which is already a thing. Like, there's fifth-year scholarships Mm -hmm. available Mm -hmm. at almost every institution. Like, schools are already doing that. They want to, like, implement medical costs if you need it after college sports. So I think football players, if they have a traumatic injury, the NCAA already has a health insurance program that you can access Hmm. after your college. So it's like a lot of those things are already in place, you know. So it's just – it's a matter of finding the right bill – to get past. And it might not even be a legislative thing. It might be an NCAA thing. If the NCAA does it first, then all those things don't matter, but there's just a lot of
1: man. Like I'm just thinking from an athlete's perspective that I only got a short window to, and I I might not play pro ball. I might not be good enough, but I'm good enough. And I have a name inside of college sports Mm -hmm. like Tim Tebow that if it wasn't in where we are now, that dude was not going to play professional football without a doubt. Like yeah. he just struggled, but he had such a big brand, such a big name. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to take my chances on him. Now, what happens if you're if he didn't have that and he was really good, he has a fan base and social media isn't a thing and he's not getting paid for that? What is he going to do the rest of his life? You know what I'm saying? Like I mean, I should be able to cash out on that, right? I mean, Taylor it goes back to that yeah, Taylor Swift thing. Like Taylor Swift is good enough to sing it's just yep. a slippery I'm slope. To, I'm a good enough to entertain some fans.
2: Yeah. And I'm I mean, I'm all for trying to find ways to get athletes to be able to make money off of what I think they deserve, but Cuz you put so many hours. It, it's you put so <laughs> many hours and You put and in way different. more hours than the average college student who gets to do this. Yeah,
1: and it's di- it's different because like you're done really learning. Like, your learning mode for sports is... Like, you're still learning, but, like, your vast majority is you're learning from five years old all the way up until you get recruited, right? And then the argument is, well, other students aren't getting paid. Yeah, they can get another job, but also, they're still learning. They're preparing for this career outside of college. Yeah, I'm already in my career. Mm-hmm. That's where it gets... I'm like, come on, we got to figure something out, at least something like where it could be like a compensation at the end of their career, yeah. where it's like a retirement type of situation. That's, because that's
3: the one that I've heard that I've liked the most. That like they, they're able to put on. money that they can't use right now. But they can put it into like a retirement fund. Oh, I think that's a perfect situation. To where once situation. they're out, now they can benefit off of that.
1: But even not even not even giving them the money after they play, like you put it in a Roth IRA, like, you have to sit in it for a little while. Yeah, right? you have to sit in it, like I it, mean, that's it's a, into it's, different mutual funds. I like that. I've like, heard that one thrown out. That because SEC like. is almost to a bill. Because then you one then bill. you stop.
3: If if you do it that way, I don't know. We're getting off tangent, but if you do it that way, you kind of stop the whole wild wild west effect of happening. Because mm-hmm. what the NCAA is looking at is they want to keep this cash cow and this machine rolling. They yeah. don't want this thing to to veer off well, course. So do pro sports. I mean, yeah. Oh, pro everybody sports does. Have a
2: free minor league system.
3: Yeah, everybody does. So, but if you let if you let Trevor Lawrence go sell his likeness and you go do all this and then everybody else does it and then the imagery gets lost and then people stop watching because they don't like what it's turning into, then the TV deals are less significant and then people are less in the stands. And now it's gone.
1: Yeah. I mean, the retirement makes perfect sense because if you can get someone early into retirement and they start at 18 years old and it and it is a revenue share across all the athletes. And if it's just 100 bucks or 50 bucks a month or 25 bucks a month, that's that could be life-changing money when they're done working at 65. Like the whole Allen Iverson thing, the deal that he had with Reebok yeah. where he literally went dirt poor and then at a certain, I forgot what age it was, they had to basically pay him out. That was a brilliant move by Allen Iverson's agent whoever made that up. Like, yeah, this guy's going to spend all this money. Yeah. I need to make it some type of deal for him. I think that's super smart to have a retirement fund and not pay the athlete right up stop. Like, I never thought about this. Like, I think it's a brilliant idea. Yeah. Give them the Roth IRA, let it accumulate, and then they can add into it as they Mm-hmm. get into their work career. I think it's
2: the best option. Obviously, that doesn't solve the issue of Right. we're assuming that they're well off enough in college at that point. Yeah. yeah. Because if you're not well off enough, yeah, I might get that money in the future, but I'm still going <laughs> to illegally sign my I need money t-shirt. now. T-shirt, yeah. I need money. I'm hungry, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I need money now. So they're still going to be doing stuff under the table yeah. to get that money whenever they're in college.
1: I mean, that is true. So I mean, it's like
2: like I said, I mean, I don't I don't pretend to have the answer. Yep. There are it's a fun it's conversation. Very, oh, you could spend a lot of time on it. Oh, yeah. And we'll see what happens. But I I think we're closer now than ever. There's way more talk about it nationally. There's a big push for it. There's obviously a huge market for it. When there's money, I think somebody's going to figure uh, it out.
3: And decisions always tend to happen after like class action lawsuits get a little bit of uh, movement behind them, you know?
2: Yeah. And there's been plenty with the NCAA. Oh, yeah. But I don't know. We'll see. It's a tricky subject right now, man. It's I don't know what the answer is.
1: Well, we're we're approaching a pretty pretty steep time yeah. here. I mean, it's been a fun conversation overall, and I mean, I could go down this route even longer. Just, there's just so many different questions that come into, into play, and then when you when you say compliance, people go, "Man, that sounds really boring." But if you yeah, they need a new digging, title. They need to rebrand. They that need name. to rebrand it. Like yeah. it's a bad branding name. Like, yeah, the is. conversations we've had has just been. Damn, I never thought about that. Yeah, there's
2: a, I mean, there's a lot to compliance, and I think. A lot of people shut down right away, college coaches, college athletes, parents, when you hear that. But
1: because it's lawyers I, talk. It's in yeah. the length, when you read language, it's not sexy. It, yeah. and it rules- You literally glaze over. It's like reading some financial reports. Mm-hmm. You're just like, dude, this thing sucks.
2: Yeah. And the best advice I can give is, and I'm going to pump up the compliance world right now. Compliance Someone officers. Someone in the other line Compliance, compliance officers across the world or across the nation would be like, yeah I love this guy but like yes some of this stuff is not the most interesting things like it is not fun to sit through a compliance meeting where they're telling you and educating you on new rules like that's not mm-hmm. fun I get it that said they can be if you utilize them some of the best resources you have on campus so whether you're a college athlete whether you're a college coach or if you're a parent like if there's one office who's fantastic at handling parent calls, it's the compliance office because like we've covered, guess who they know on campus? Literally almost everybody. Admissions, they work ridiculously close with financial aid on campus. They know everybody in the athletic department because they work with them every Mm -hmm. day. It's like if you have a question as a parent or as a player or an incoming student athlete, the compliance office, if they don't know it, which I don't pretend to know everything, but I can sure as heck get you to who does because I work with them every day.
1: It's it's rules. It's understanding the playing field and play, and knowing what the game, you can actually do inside the game. 100%. That's what I love. I love having conversations about obscure baseball rules because then you get a little bit smarter on what you can and cannot do inside the game that no one else really knows. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's super valuable if you know somebody inside compliance and really just like having this type of conversation
2: yeah oh yeah there's a lot of coaches who try to get in they might pretend like they don't like you but they try to get in real good with you because i know they can that you can get them guys they want girls they want mm-hmm. or just help them whenever they it's not finding loopholes trouble.
1: it's knowing the rules and how to navigate it
2: yeah You. i mean you gotta you gotta know how to get in it you're not bending any rules but you know how to okay this avenue doesn't work but i can take you down this road and we can still end up at the same destination.
1: It's like the episode of suits. Like suit, the yeah. suits uh, you don't watch suits, do you? I have watched suits, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they find you find a way. You find a way. Yep. There's always a way. Yeah.
2: Not always. But yeah, that's true. you can find it. Well you with can Harvey find with a way. With Harvey, Specter, <laughs> well, Harvey Specters. A way. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. The guy always wins. He's a winner. <laughs> but there might not be a way, but they're gonna they're the people that know how to get there if there is. So definitely definitely a valuable resource just not the best brand name yeah but it is an interesting topic and it's something that obviously i enjoy um it's what led me to where i'm at now in law mm-hmm. school so
1: i had no idea where this conversation would go yeah i, didn't I mean i was i was planning for 30 minutes and then now we're sitting here for a long time and it feels like a closing pitch podcast yeah and this is a tiger interview series but I want to do a closing pitch because there's a lot of information there. And I I do, I want a recap from you guys kind of get your thoughts on it. Let's go through closing pitches and then I'll close it out. Okay. Dave, what's your closing pitch?
3: So I liked from a standpoint, if you're a, if you're a parent or a player or even a coach who, who oversees parents and players on a regular basis, I like understanding the importance of this because, you know, I've been in this now, this is my 11th year with the Tigers and my first, you know, handful of years, and I was dealing directly with people who were getting recruited, I couldn't have told you 90% of the things that you just said today. I had no idea. And I still don't know all of it, but I am certainly informed enough to help people along that path. And it's very important, you know, like getting yourself signed up for the eligibility center early, making sure you know all the things you need to do to become eligible, to become an NCAA athlete. And then basically understanding all the nuances to keep yourself eligible, what you can and can't do. Yeah. It's 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 incredibly important, especially with the growing social media, with the growing just so many opportunities out there to basically get yourself in trouble. And there's new ones every day. And so if you want to become a college athlete, if you want that opportunity, it's really important to understand this information. So that's what I got out of it.
2: Um, I mean, I'll reiterate some of the things I said. I think touching on what you were just talking about with your closing pitch, um, understand that the compliance department and the NCAA eligibility center and things of that nature are extremely, extremely, extremely important to do early, be on top top of it, log into all that stuff. Um, And then compliance officers, even if you don't know where you're going, or if you haven't committed to a school, if you're talking to a school, reach out to them. They're going to be more often than not, they're going to be more than happy to help you because if they can get it a year and a half advance done, that makes their job so, so much easier. Um, So definitely reach out to them. They are definitely somebody to get to know once you're on campus. And then um, to go with the parents and players and coaches, you know, organizations like you guys, you know, if you're a big youth sports organization I think, in my opinion, this is something that you need to discuss with your teams and with your players. Um, it doesn't have to be all the time, you know, maybe once a year, just be like, Hey guys, you know, your juniors now, or your sophomores now, here's some things to keep on the, keep on the horizon or keep in the back of your mind, um, just to give that education. Because I think a lot of high school athletes, they don't think about this stuff. And a lot of parents have no idea they haven't gone through it before, you know, so, um, just keep it on the forefront, and if you're an organization, I think it's something that you should look into and maybe have talks with with your parents especially mm-hmm. and your players.
1: My closing pitch is it's intriguing for retirement funds for players. I think that is something that I'm hoping the NCAA will go down that route. Yeah, Super important for a young person. I'm talking like I'm like 90 years old, like <laughs> back in the day. But I do think that's a vital – Very vital for someone because, I mean, I I think 40% of Americans only have $400 worth of savings. That's a crazy number, Mm -hmm. just being able to have access to $400 of investments. Yeah. So I think that's number one. That should be a number one priority for the NCAA. Second thing that is for our audience is that I hope that this opened up some eyes for some people and also showed... That I need to know the landscape of a college, and know who my tools are and where my resources are, and be able to know when to use that tool at a specific moment. Mm-hmm. And we didn't even talk about like our our PTs, mm-hmm. like knowing knowing our athletic trainers, oh, yeah. our strength trainers. But if you know the academic side, man, that's some free cash money that's going to help you get good grades and get a better education mm-hmm. and then yeah. be able to open some doors you have, you have no idea that it could lead you to an internship that you didn't even realize cuz you developed mm-hmm. that relationship Absolutely. with the compliance part department or your academic advisor yeah
2: and i failed to shout out the uh, strength staffs and mm-hmm. athletic training staffs but man they're huge and they're some of the best people so
1: my apologies to those people <laughs> but you guys are awesome guys that's um that's this side of the tiger interview um i might put this on the closing pitch just because it i saw it it. i knew you were gonna do it it had (laughs) it had that closing (laughs) pitch-esque feel to it as we were talking i'm like man this is really good yep um so guys subscribe to our youtube channel that's where we're putting the tiger tv series uh our tiger interview series um we're also doing it on our facebook page but i like youtube a little bit better um and then also Uh, subscribe to our Closing Pitch podcast. We'll catch you in the next episode. See you guys.